I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> um, no, I am overwhelmed. <laughs> um, uh, it's an incredible day. Um, it's great. If you are, are not one of our, our regulars here at Revive Church, we are super grateful that you would come. Um, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we're really grateful that you will come. Um, and we especially hope that um, you'll be blessed. You know, our church has this dream that, um, you know, I, I learned this from a, a missionary many years ago. His name is Bob Happy, and he said that the church is the one organization in the world that exists for its non-members. It's a strange uh, way of putting it, but it's so true. Um, we exist to not just be served and come so that we can be consumers of our religion, but that our hearts would be turned outward and to serve our neighbors, um, including and especially those who don't know Jesus. And so we're so grateful that you're here. And my heart is so full that you're here. It's been an incredibly intense week for my, my wife and me. If you're, if you're not a member of our church, um, I don't want to get too much into this, but just a few days ago, my wife and I were in New York City because uh, my father-in-law passed away um, from, cancer, um, from, from a stroke uh, a week ago. And so it's been an unbelievable week. And, um, but our church family, they haven't, they haven't even missed a beat. I guess they, they don't need me to prep, <laughs> right? Um, this, this is the part I do, right, uh, to teach God's word. And um, so let's get at it. And I hope that you will be blessed to hear um, a teaching from the Bible. This passage, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it's, it's not just any old word out there. It's, these are history-changing words. We who are, uh, who, who are Orthodox, Bible-believing Christians, we do not believe that this book is just another book. We don't think it's a religious book. It's not on par with any of the other religious books. We believe this, these words are from God. We believe this word is alive. All the other books that you read, all the other texts that you see on the internet, those can all go away and probably will, all right? But this won't. And it proclaims somebody, and it proclaims what he has done, and it is always, always relevant. I like to call it super relevant, right? Our culture increasingly thinks that the stuff that religious people do, and especially Christians, um, is not very relevant, but we think it is super relevant. And today, we want to get at some of the heart at this relevance, and we hope that it will be of um, interest to you and to be a blessing to you, okay? Um, uh, I, I'm a three-point preacher, so in three parts, all right? Part one, salvation, fulfillment, and self-completion. In part one, I want to ask you this question. What is salvation? What is it? And um, many of you think you probably know what it is, but I want to complexify it a little bit. I think it's a little bit more complex than people think it is. And so that's part one. Salvation, fulfillment, and self-completion. Part two, whose power and which righteousness do you seek? You all seek a righteousness. I know we don't use that language today. Righteousness. So it seems very religious. But I don't care if you don't think you believe in God or a religion. You, you seek a righteousness and we all want power. They want some power to make our life whole. And so that's part two. Whose power and which righteousness do you seek? 
And I'm going to close by talking about, well, the gospel, right? And the gospel is the power of God for salvation from his righteousness, not ours. His righteousness, not ours, okay? So um, let's start part one. So this is the portion of the text that I, I would like to highlight. I mean, um, you know, we can have it projected here. It says here, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What's it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And what I want to do in this message is, you know, for if you haven't grown up in the church or um, maybe even if you did grow up in the church, some of this language can sound kind of like, you know, blah, blah kind of language. It's very like religion, uh, religion-y language. And even if you did grow up in the church, I think there is, there is a way that the church can kind of put like blinders over our, our eyes and turn these words, these very, very powerful words, into a kind of like tamed, domesticated religiosity, right? And what we want to do is lift some of that off and whether you are a church person or you don't, you don't believe in Jesus, we want to get at what this is saying. All right, so um, let me, um, let's just start off by talking about this question. What is salvation? What the heck is that? All right. And the traditional answer of Western Christianity is that it is a deliverance from hell and death. So you can go to heaven. So we get right at this, this question of eternity and our lives, and what happens after you die? Because, you know, eternity is a lot longer than however long we're going to be here, even if you're going to be here for a long time, or it's what we think is a long time. And for most of history, um, people were much more interested in the eternity question than we tend to be today. Maybe it's because, um, maybe it's because you know, you're growing up and your, your brother doesn't make it to, to two years old. Maybe. Maybe because... But by the time you're 12 years old, your mom has already passed away. By the time you're 20 years old, your grandmother's passed away. I mean, you just know life is short. You know, the, 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 those people on the other side of the mountains come to invade you and, um, and then carry off your mom and your sister. And so, you know, this, this idea that we, we're looking for a, a happy life here on this planet, that, 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 that maybe was not the most pressing question for many, many people. So that is really the question. When, when people ask this question, what is salvation? It seemed very, very obvious. Well, I want to go to heaven, not the other place, because I think there is some place. And come on, we really care about who's good, who's bad. When I was a little boy and somebody told me there was a heaven and hell, I did not doubt that one bit. It was, just, it was like, okay, there's, like, there's got to be a bad place and there's got to be a good place. <laughs> and there can't be nothing. And, um, but a lot of people thought that, but that's a very, very important answer to a very, very important question. And today around the globe, a lot of people are still interested in that question. Um, and they still think of salvation primarily in eternal destination. But, um, I want to say today, you know, maybe a lot of you that you, maybe you're not interested in that, that salvation from that understanding Maybe that is not as interesting to you. And I think for a lot of people, it is not very interesting. And a lot of people say, I'm glad that Jesus stuff works for you. And maybe you've literally said this, okay? 
And you said this to you know, your, 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 your Christian friend because you, know, you want to be nice to your Christian friend. You're like, I'm glad it works for you, right? But, um, but really, you, know, it, you don't feel like it's very relevant to what you care about in life. Um, so I want to say a little something else, right? Um, sometimes the, the church, the church can get kind of stuck in its verbiage, right? And the church is an old, it's old. I mean, that's not, you know, 2,000 years is, is old. But actually, its roots go back even further than that. And, um, you know, we live in a, in a time, in a place where we don't really think too much about what happened uh, 50 years ago, let alone 2,000 years ago. Um, but we do want, I want to apologize to you if the church does not always speak to you. Right. People are desperately looking for salvation, but they're not necessarily interested in salvation defined as, uh, as like, where do I go after I die? Um, and the Bible has more to say about salvation than, th- than just that. We read this thing, and that's all that people think. So um, there's more. And I want to say a little bit something about this. Salvation is about not losing. It's about, found, about being found. It's about something attained, not lost. And so what am I getting at here? So today, when you're, we don't use the word salvation so much. I mean, I know the Christians do. And we care about that. Are you saved? Are you saved? And if you're not a Christian, that could be a little bit of annoying language, right? And, um, and I get it. But um, today, you know what you're looking for? You are looking for salvation more than ever, and you desperately want it. You just don't call it that. And most of the people in our time, in our culture, what they're looking for is something like purpose. They're looking for this, it's like a bigger word than purpose. There's an old word called telos. It's a Greek word. It means kind of ultimate purpose. A purpose which is, will, will finally, your, your full, complete goal of your life. And, you know, the Bible speaks to this too. That this is a, the future uh, pastoral staff of our church here. Um, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's probably going to happen. <laughs> um, but the Bible really teaches that we're actually made with incompletion. There's something that we're made for a journey. We're made that the story is supposed to unfurl and you go to a kind of deep purpose. And we all can feel this. You can feel this. I mean, and, but the language we tend to use is something like this. Where will I find fulfillment? That, that's the buzzword today. When I hear fulfillment, you know what I, uh, I just hear? I just hear salvation. Or sometimes you how can I find the completion of who I am? Self-completion. For we all know and strongly feel that you're, something is incomplete. Because that's how God made you. God made you this way. Because God wants to make you into something more glorious and beautiful. And we all can feel this. We're all intended to become something more and full and rich and wonderful than we actually are. You know, you could feel this. And I want to say, so it isn't just that you get, some, some people just think, I will just try to get through life here and hopefully I'll make some money and some woman will actually like me <laughs> and we'll actually have some 2.2 kids in our 2.2 cars and our 1.2 dog, right? Which is really hard to attain in Silicon Valley if you can actually pay the mortgage. Um, and those are, honestly, th- those are really low goals. 
God wants you to have fulfillment. Let's put it this way, salvation, right? Now, let's take that, let's, I wanna, let's project this word. If you go back to this passage, what we are interested in is the power for fulfillment. How about that? So now if I put it this way, doesn't that sound a lot more interesting? <laughs> this passage says there's a power of God for salvation. But many of you aren't interested in salvation. Oh, but you're really interested in fulfillment. Or let me put it this way. The power for self-completion. How about the power for self-completion? And so if you don't become fulfilled and you complete, then you know what that means? That means somewhere in the middle of your life or maybe at the end of your life, your life got off track. Your life ended tragically. And do you know, most of us, we don't actually say this out loud, but there's something about my life, it didn't quite make it to where it's supposed to make it. And it got wasted and it got lost and we all don't want this to be the case. And sometimes you feel a little bit more and in your more human state, you wake up and you want this very, very badly. And then some days, you like the dream and the hope of making your life like you, who you are, full. You're like, oh, you know, it, it probably isn't going to happen for me, is it? And then we kind of lower the bar to lower things. I'll just watch that Netflix show and try not to eat too much potato chips that I got to work off tomorrow, all right? And we just get low bar. But honestly... If that's all where your life is sitting, then your life is going to be lost. It actually ends tragically. And if you, maybe your life isn't going to, oh, you're going to end up in prison or like nobody, like everybody who's supposed to love you hates you and leaves you behind, but, but your life doesn't quite end up saved. Hmm. That's what we're talking about here today. Now, let me say one more thing here. Um, very, very few people, and when I say very, very few people, like nobody I ever met, okay? So there's a, some people say, well, who knows that there actually can be meaning? Um, there is no actual meaning. You can't point this out. And so we're just free because there is no meaning. So if that's, do you really think that that's true? Like maybe somewhere in the head, you know, like, like freshman year, college, philosophy class, you actually think, come on, none of these religions can actually have the truth. And so you think everybody just got their own truth. By the way, that's just another thing. Everybody got their own lies. If truth is just what everybody thinks, then everybody, you, so let's just erase that word truth. Everybody's got their own truth. Everybody's got their own lies. Same difference, right? And, and so there's actually a word for this. You know, if this is the case and there's a beginning and a middle and end, but it doesn't really matter where it goes. You were born, you breathed, and he was nice. Oh, you, you born, you breathed, and he was cruel. What difference does it make? And then he died. Short, pointless, forgotten, worthless. Hmm. And that's nihilism. But I think more and more in our time today, and I don't mean to get overly heavy about this, somewhere between the hope that our lives could be saved, fulfilled, and then some kind of low grade, we're starting to lose this hope, just, you know, Netflix or whatever that you'd like to. I, I, I personally choose ESPN and a pint of Haagen-Dazs. 
You know, that's my, like, when I'm not, like, f- finding the joy of Jesus, like, you know, escape to ESPN and haagen you can choose Netflix. I prefer ESPN, all right? And, and then some people slip even further, lower than that. Maybe even that doesn't matter. And that's when you get things like cutting. And uh, I think I'll end it all. And it's crazy because this is, this place, Silicon Valley, I like to call it the lottery ticket of history. <laughs> Um, the weather's perfect. Lots of smart, talented people. Nobody's, well, if they're really mean to you, it's like they're mean to you on social media. <laughs> okay, they're really mean to you on social media, right? But they don't actually like, like violently hurt you generally. And every opportunity is here. And it's really interesting. The richest kids with the most opportunity who have everything that the world has ever dreamed of since history has begun they're the ones that are killing themselves out here. <laughs> so you don't generally believe in nihilism, that there is this thing. But, but some people start to think when this hope is missing, salvation is unattainable, then it can slide down here. And so I, I don't mean to be overly dark, but that's real. And so um, I want to talk today about salvation as completion, as fulfillment. Now, is that interesting to you? Is that interesting to you? I hope so. All right, let's go to part two. All right. It said in the passage, um, the gospel is the power of God, of God for salvation. And so um, let, me, let me say it a little bit differently. You're probably not interested in the power of God for salvation, but you're interested in some kind of power. All of you, there is not a soul in this room unless you're probably sliding into nihilism. And if you are, let me just... Please, 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 let me offer you hope. Don't end it. If you're thinking about it, please don't end it. All right? But you are interested in a power. If you're like a normal human being, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're just in some power for your fulfillment. And so let me put it to you this way. This is the, what most of you believe, including some of you who are Christians. It goes like this. I'm interested in the power of, fill in the name, your name here, for self-fulfillment. Got it up here? There we go. So the Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But most people today are interested in the power of, put your name in there. Right, let's, okay, let's go to the next one. The power of me. Put your, the, the power of me for self-completion. Or the power of the self for self-salvation. See, there's a salvation out there. Now, well, I'm going to say this. This is the real religion of America, I think. This is the one everybody's trying to practice. And there isn't like a general temple about it because everybody chooses different ways of going about it. It's very relativistic. Right? But there, this, is the, this, is the, they call it, this is the doctrine of what people are seeking in today's secular religion. So this is the real functional religion of secular America. And actually, it's not just secular America. You go to Tokyo, this is what they're looking for. You go to Seoul, this is what they're looking for, right? You go to Australia, this is what they're looking for, right? And, but so when the West became secular and thought that we didn't have to look to heaven for completion and fulfillment, you gotta, you gotta look for fulfillment somehow. It's gotta be attained somewhere because this journey of like incompletion has to go someplace, right? So 
Where are you going to get the power for it? Let me tell you something. It's got to come from you. If there's no God to give you this power, it's got to come from you. Um, my wife and I, we, we took a trip. I got to do a destination wedding in Bali, of all places. Right? Um, and it's a Hindu island. They don't believe in the power of me. They, they all, I mean, there's like prayer things everywhere on the street. They're looking, they're calling out to some God. It's not Jesus, of course. But here in our city, you are looking for a power. And where it's got to come from, it's got to come from you. You got to do it. And a lot of us think, because there's no God to answer to, and like, you know, I don't have to listen to mom and dad. I mean, come on, like, you know, like as soon as I'm out of the house, you know, some of you, 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 go, you go very far away for college, right? That's because, you know, you don't want to hear dad, but sorry, you, you will still hear dad. <laughs> 3,000 miles away, his voice will still be there. Kids, you hearing me? <laughs> All right, so you can go far away, it won't matter. But you're not really truly free. Are you free? There's a voice going on inside of you and it's telling you, it doesn't have to be dad because the real master of your life is you, right? And your master is going to judge you on whether you're going to fulfillment. And when you're not doing very good, you yourself are going to tell you you're not doing it. You're not making it. <laughs> um, let me teach you another portion of this text. The next portion says this odd word. Um, in it, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. What is it in the gospel? In it, back to the gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now I wanna, so just as you know, kind of like modern secular folks are redefining. I mean, you can't, you just can't get away from being human. <laughs> um, I want to propose to you just as like salvation is super relevant. You just don't, we just don't use that word. Righteousness is super relevant. <laughs> if you want to get to salvation, you got a righteousness. <laughs> what, 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 what are you talking about, Susang? Um, here's what righteousness is. Because you think you're the master of your life, you're free. Nobody tells you what to do. But you cannot build your life fulfillment on you. <laughs> you can't build your life fulfillment on you. There's something bigger out there that, that captures you, something that's worthy of your life. Um, and I would say there's all kinds of multiple glories in the world. Some glory out there, you're like, if this shines on me and if I get this, then, then I'll be me. <laughs> then then I, I can be truly happy and fulfilled. And whatever that glory is, it has a standard. <laughs> it has a standard. And if you're not above that standard, you'll be cast out. <laughs> so, you know, God has a standard. It's called the law of God. It's honestly, if you, if you don't believe in God, it's the highest standard there is. His is the highest standard. And if you're above his standard, then you're righteous. But we don't tend to use that word because we're not interested in the, 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 the standards of God, but you are interested in the standards of beauty, some of you. If that's the glory that you care about, or you, I mean, I'm sorry, look around, you all look like you combed your hair. 
Um, my daughter wore a very nice thing today. She looks really good. I think she cares about the standards of beauty, and I think she's quite righteous. <laughs> she's above standard, okay? And if that's the glory that you're looking for to fulfill your life, it has a standard, and it'll judge you. So you think, well, there's no, there's no God out there called beauty telling me I'm above standard or not. No, no. You are enslaved to the God of beauty. So, we go, oh, there's this thing out there called beauty. It's, there's no God to it. You know, no, no. We take nameless things that are good in the world and we make them ultimate and they become an idol. And so it doesn't actually say this to you. You know who says it to you? You say this to you. So if you really care about the God of beauty, you want to be beautiful and that's part of what makes that's going to make your life fulfilled. You know, when you get on this scale <laughs> and there's a little too much down here, as my wife is telling me about me, <laughs> you know what? You're starting to get unrighteous. You're, stand, you're dropping below the standard. You're dropping below the standard. And if you start to drop below the standard, you won't be saved. <laughs> You're getting what I'm saying? Now, there's all kinds of, um, you just choose the one you want. Everybody chooses one. Some of you are very ambitious. You like having multiple gods. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I think this is like, the, polythe it's like the, the polytheistic city of America. They want the beauty and the money <laughs> and the success. And by success, they mean achievements in, in career and then they want status, you know, like, you know, like, oh, I don't have to become the CEO, but I got to make VP. And if you don't make VP, that's like you're not righteous enough. Somehow in your mind, that's just it. What's yours? Oh, I bet you have one. I'll tell you a story. And um, it's a personal story. And so I want to just first apologize a little for being a little overly biographical. You know, autobiographical. I don't usually go around trying to talk too much about myself, but we're talking about um, what it's like, why we choose the gods we choose. And, and if I'm going to tell you about this, I should tell you about mine, because <laughs> it wasn't always Jesus. Um, I'll tell you about mine. And, um, and maybe it'll it's something like that for you. So I'll tell you the God that was my God right, before it was Jesus. So you see, like, you know, like Sunday I go to church and, you know, my, I come from a devout Christian home and they tell me my God is supposed to be Jesus. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a good mom, I'm a good son. I want to believe, I believe in Jesus, <laughs> right? Monday, I go to my real God, <laughs> the one I really care about inside. And you know what that God was? It was the God of being smart. That was my God, Right? And I'm not quite sure when it started. So I think it started, so a little bit about myself. I was born in Korea, and my parents, you know, you know we immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. I'm a Bay Area kid. Uh, we lived in Richmond. And so, like, I started kindergarten in Richmond, California. It was a working-class black neighborhood back then. It was like, you know, 28 black kids, one white kid, one Chinese kid, and me, <laughs> okay? That was kindergarten, all right? And... Um, and so, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm just from, I, I, pro I can't remember learning English, but I probably, of course, spoke no English in kindergarten. 
Um, I don't remember ever caring about being smart in kindergarten. In kindergarten, you know, you, your, your teacher praises you if you, if you spell your name correctly. <laughs> and uh, apparently I didn't a number of times because I didn't get that praise for a while, okay? And then um, first grade, get to first grade, I, I distinctly remember there were kids learning better math than, I knew I was not in the, that, that, those kids getting the stronger math. It was like, when the number got above like 12 minus five, like above 12, like I got, would get the wrong answer. Okay, this is the first grade. And I certainly wasn't in the good reading group. I knew there were like multiple reading groups. My teacher ran reading groups and I wasn't in the good one, but I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. My teacher was super loving and I would draw like a superhero on the top of my folder and she would say, oh, you have so much talent, Susan. <laughs> and, uh, and gosh, I loved her. I loved her, right? And um, who cares about being smart? I mean, I, didn't even, I probably didn't even know that word because I couldn't speak English, okay? But something happened in second grade. Get to second grade. Now, second grade, this is still in Richmond. I get to second grade, and this is a second grade. I was in a combination. Back then, they called it combination. I don't know if they, they, they call it that today. Um, we have second graders and third graders. Like, there's probably like about 20 second graders and like 10 third graders in this class. And my teacher, um, she did something interesting. Um, at the, she didn't, and nobody ever did this before in kindergarten or first grade. What she did was, at the beginning of the year, everybody's just sitting wherever you're sitting. It's probably in some alphabetical order. And then she said, okay, you know, there's a lesson. And then she would go to the back, and then she would call your name out one by one. <laughs> and you sit next to the teacher. And um, you know, she was like, she's probably like a, a white lady in her 50s. She was tough, okay, a little, very nice, but a little, little scary, okay? And um, then she would say, read this word. And she had a whole bunch of words. And she would say, what is this word? What is this word? What is this word? And she would just like pop back and forth. And then she would pull, there'd be like, she'd open a book. Okay, read this paragraph. Like, da, 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 right? And um, what I remember was I could read all the words. <laughs> and it was easy. And um, I remember... The summer before second grade, my aunt, she was only like seven years older than me, so she's more like an older sister. She told me, at every comma, pause. <laughs> and every period, pause. And I'm like, why do you have to pause? Whatever. <laughs> so I probably sounded pretty good. Da -da 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 -da, pause. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> and so my teacher probably thought I was some crazy prodigy. So after reading a few paragraphs, she goes, okay, you can go sit down now. And then after she went through every kid, she rearranged the collection. Okay, everybody stand up. You, you sit here, you sit here. And what she did was, so she basically put the better readers on one side of the room. Most of them were third graders. So, you know, there's a, there's a group of tables. They're like, it's like all third grade kids. And, um, and, and there was one second grade kid at that table. You're looking at him. <laughs> And that's when I started thinking, oh, this makes me special. <laughs> and um, my uh, parents would go to, you know, back to school night, and the teachers would say glowing things about me, right? I don't know. When I look back now, I just think, is it because, you know, you're just this one Asian kid, so you stick out in class? <laughs> it's like the Asian kid is nice, and, he, and he's well-behaved, 
and he wants to do, you know, he, he wants the teacher to love him. I was probably just a good people pleaser, right? And um, so that's second grade. Toward the end of second grade, we moved. My parents, you know, we're living in a, in, in a black working class community and we want to chop up in life. Okay, hey, we, we, we got to get self-fulfillment, economically that is. So we moved from Richmond, California to a little townhouse in Hayward on the East Bay. And let me tell you, Hayward was no prize of a, a neighborhood, but it, was, it seemed nicer to, okay, so we went to Hayward and then, um, and this was really interesting. Um, in the white working class neighborhood of Hayward, the kids were behind. The school, the teaching, like when I got there, everything that my teacher taught in second grade in the last two months, I already knew every, all of it because I already learned it. <laughs> and so immediately she thought, this is like, like the, the brainiest kid. I mean, it wasn't because I was smarter. I already just knew it. <laughs> I just had a head start. And so she just starts glowing on you know, the, 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 the strange Korean kid who just showed up for the last two months. And then there's summer, and then there's third grade. Third grade, my third grade teacher was Mrs. Mahoney. She, I remember her as being like six foot two, but she was probably like five foot five or something. I remember her being like, and she was blonde and she was beautiful, right? And I wanted her, and if she smiled at me, man, that's a great day. <laughs> Um, and um, so Mrs. Mahoney, she did this. She, uh, she, she assessed everybody in reading, and um, there were two groups. There were about 22 kids in group one, and there were about eight kids in group two. Group two's the higher grade. I'm in, I'm in that group. She also did it in math. She assessed everybody in math. So there were three groups in math. There's like 20, 20 kids in group one in math. That's like almost all the kids, okay? And then there's like about seven or eight kids in group two. And people were like, oh, they're the smart ones. And there are two kids in group three. It's the highest math. You can guess which group I'm in. Which group do you think I'm in? And, no, I was in, of course I was in group three, okay? <laughs> so I was in group three, and it gets even better. About a few weeks after she did this, so you're like, math time, and then everybody's got to move around there until you go to your group. Um, this is the late 70s, by the way, okay? So you go to, I go to group three. There's only two kids in group three. There's me, and there was this uh, pretty bl okay, blonde girl. I don't know, I, she was blonde too, right? There's a pretty blonde girl named Laurel, right? And I was thinking, like, you're really pretty and you're smart. <laughs> it's kind of had I kind of had a crush on her, okay? But it only lasted about because this magical thing happened. Three weeks later, she moved. I still remember the, her last day of school. We all had a little cupcake. Bye, Laurel. We'll miss you. We won't really miss you, but we'll miss you, okay? And she left. <laughs> and she left. And group three had one kid. <laughs> so when it came to math, you're looking at the most righteous dude in the room. <laughs> Third grade was awesome. <laughs> now, like, you know, when we went out to um, recess, um, there were like about four Portuguese kids, okay? And they all loved soccer. <laughs> 
And so we played soccer at, they would invite me to soccer. And, uh, and of course, one of the Portuguese kids, he was the best. Okay, there's like this one Portuguese kid and then his cousin, they were the best. And everybody knew they were the best. And I'm trying to get on that team because I want to win. And they, they, they fortunately liked me. And so I wasn't one of the worst, but I was like one of the better half of the soccer players. So on the glory of soccer, mildly above righteous, mildly righteous above standard, according to the, the, the keepers of the flame. In third grade, the keepers of the flame of the glory of soccer was a Portuguese kid. His name was Carlos, okay? If Carlos wanted you, you were righteous above standard. If Carlos didn't want you on the team, you knew you were going to lose. You knew you were going to lose, right? But when it came to math, oh, we'd have these contests. The teacher would divide the class into like half, and then you'd go up to the board and do math problems, and whoever could do the math problem faster and get the right answer, your team would get a point. You know which team would win? The one I was on. <laughs> because I'm the LeBron James in Mrs. Mahoney's third grade class. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I want to boast? You know, when you're in third or fourth grade, you just care so much that somebody values you. Somebody tells you you're special, that you matter. And if there's something in your life, it's this is kind of what we do. Not every single person, you're, there's, every occasion there's an odd kid who's like, can't play basketball worth a lick, <laughs> but just, just wants to play. That's an odd kid. But usually we try this, and then people tell you you're below standard. They don't pick you for the team. Nobody tells you you're any good. On the standard of this, you're not righteous. Because we don't actually use that language. They just say we're not worthy. Worthiness is what we're talking about. And um, I want to ask you a question. Now, you guys all kind of know where this goes, right? You get to fourth grade. So we moved. We went to fourth grade, and then, you know, my teacher said, oh, you know, Susan's the, the smartest kid in class. Wonderful. Then we moved. And my parents go, well, he can't be the smartest kid in class when we get to fifth grade, will you? Because that's a new neighborhood. There'll be some smart kids there. And then we moved to that class. And, and then um, my fifth grade teacher, I love my fifth grade teacher, her name was Delphine Aldridge. She was probably like a six foot, well, she's probably not actually six foot two, but I, I remember her being very tall. She's black, super cool, right? I couldn't do the, thing, the dance moves she wanted us to do, but I could do the math. <laughs> and she divvied up the room into eight different math groups. And group eight, you're looking at them. <laughs> There was only one kid in group eight. But as you keep doing this, as you keep doing this, you know, something really bad starts to happen inside of you. You have this righteous, righteousness. And this is what makes me special. Are you as special as me? You're not. <laughs> Better than you. And then, and then, Something really good happens to you. You grow older and you go into different circles 
And then finally you walk into a room and you just is, you're just not as righteous as somebody else. <laughs> Somebody's higher on that standard. Now, that didn't happen to me until I got to high school, right? And that didn't happen to me until I got to high school. And when I got to high school, then I kind of lowered the bar. I, okay, let's just get straight A's. Okay, that, and that worked until, until senior year. And then I said, okay, I, I, I got to have worth. That's be, that'll be my righteousness. That's how I'll get self-completion. That's where I'll find my salvation. And so then if I can get into a certain school, that will be the validation of my righteousness. And the school that I picked was Stanford. And April of 1989, I got a big envelope. And I opened that letter up, and I read the first, like the first two sentences. My brother was standing there and goes, well, you got a big envelope. But I read the first two sentences, and I was like, yes! Because <laughs> I spent 11th grade getting four hours of sleep a night. I was on the track team. I was first violin in my school orchestra. I was in first violin in San Jose Symphony Youth Orchestra. Is that even around anymore? Right? I was the president of my youth group at church, and I got to get straight A's. And then when Stanford shined this light on me, oh, yes, right? Wrong. That was great for about a month. And then I got to, actually got to Stanford, and you know what they told you to do? They just raised the bar. <laughs> Go higher. And I remember looking at this thing going like, what? What? Just got to do it all over again. Okay, then if I do that, then what? Then what? This is where it ends. Now, if you are... Um, if you're one of the regulars of the people that I've pastored for a number of years, you know what I'm going to say next, right? There's two tragedies in life. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, deep Christian man named Philip Yancey, he wrote a book called Disappointment with God. And this thing just really stuck out to me. There are two tragedies in life. Not getting what you want and getting what you want. These are the two ways it ends. You attain your righteousness and your, and your goals and you're well above the standard or you don't. And if you don't, the little you that's got to bow down to the God of glory will tell you, you stink. And then the one that says, you, you, you do make it will tell you, well, I guess you don't actually stink, but... This is all there is. It's all there is. You're not much. It's all there is. Which one's yours? I promise you, whether you serve the God of beauty or the best grades, all of it, this is where it ends. <laughs> you don't believe me. I want to give you a, a really cool quote. Now, I'm not this smart. Um, I got this from one of my favorite preachers. His name is Tim Keller. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a lot wiser than me. And um, so 
He read this in um, Vogue magazine. And it's actually an interview of Madonna. Now, did some of you not know who Madonna is? I want you, okay, some of you guys, young people probably don't know who Madonna is. And all of you who are old, you can be appalled. Ah, okay. Madonna. So if you don't know who Madonna is, Madonna is a superstar pop artist. In the 1980s, she's, she's like on top of the world. She's the best, okay? And occasionally there may be a song that will come on and you go, oh, this is a cool song. It's probably from her, okay? And before there was Lady Gaga, there was Madonna. In fact, everything you see Gaga doing, I mean, Madonna already did it. So Gaga is like kind of boring, actually. I think she's boring. I'm like, I've already seen this, right? And in this interview, she said this really interesting thing. She said this, I have an iron will and all of my life will always have to, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Do you hear what she's saying? She says mediocre and uninteresting, but you know what I hear? Unrighteous, slipping below the standards. You're not very special. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Here's what Tim Keller says. He didn't quote this to like insult her, or actually admires her. He said this, Madonna knows herself better than most of us know ourselves. Every time she accomplishes something, these are the kinds of thoughts she has. I've got, I, now I have got the verdict that I am somebody. You know, somebody else has to tell you this. You know, for me, it was like the smart people, the teachers or whatever got to tell this. But the next day, you, here's what you're going to find out. You realize that you got to keep going. That you're not so special. And that my ego cannot be satisfied. You know what the ego is? It's you. <laughs> the self cannot be satisfied. My desire for self-worth, my need to be somebody, it is not fulfilled. There's the word, salvation. There it is. The drama of all our lives. Um, now let me close I think finally now maybe you're ready to hear the gospel <laughs> it's all been pretty much I've been just been describing how you and I operate does it make this is familiar I hope it's familiar um, I think that only when your worthiness which is another way of saying your righteousness the day when your righteousness fails, that's a really good day. It doesn't just fail. When you fail your righteousness, you, you feel horrible. I'm nothing. But I'm not talking about the day you failed it the first time or the second time or the fifth time. I'm talking about the day you failed it with a capital F and now you know you're never going to pass. Your righteousness and worthiness, it's always going to be not enough. And even if you get it, it'll rot and not be enough. That day that you know that day, that's a good day. Because now 
You finally get the human condition. You finally know what you're up against, what we're all up against. And so now let me use the word that so many people today don't like. It's sin. Because sin is this. This is what sin is. It's not like, okay, don't click on that and look at those bad pictures on the internet. That's not, okay, that's sin, but that's like, come on, like that's pretty low grade. Sin is a power. Sin is like, it's like a monster that owns us. So that even when you have righteousness, it's in there and it's making it rot and worthless. That's sin. And so even your righteousness isn't much. And so, you know what you need? You need a power of, not you, from somebody else with their righteousness, their worthiness, that they gave to you. And then you could be saved. (laughs) And now let me tell you the gospel. Pastor Young said that the gospel is a good message. It's news. It's all it is. It's not something you do. Christianity is never about what you do. Yeah, we do a lot of different things, but it's not really what it's about. It's only about what God has done for you. It's all wrapped up in this odd person named Jesus. That's what's the good news about him. So God has come, the very infinite, almighty, holy. Holy means righteous, and there's nothing corrupt inside of it. It's only beautiful. It's only wonderful. And he has come. He has come to put on our humanity and take on all of our fallen, terrible state. And he's come to take on sin and our righteousness. And this is the drama of the cross. That ultimately, that if this is the only kind of life you have, I'm in this, this is the drama I've got. This is it, my righteousness, the righteousness of me, that's all I've got. Then you know what? That life it has to die. It's got to go away. But if you die on your own, your righteousness, your worthiness, everything you've ever done to try to build up your life on you or on beauty or on smartness or whatever that it is, being a good mom, if that's what you're going to, that thing, it finally has to die. And then if you die in yourself, then you just die and it's horrible, right? But if you will Go with Jesus. When he dies and you die with him, you can come back. There's a new life. On the other side of what he did for us, because that's what the cross is all about. The cross is not just that he died, it's just that you and me and all of this sin-sick, two tragedies in life, the only kind there is, that kind of life can die. And that's why we have this ridiculous thing that you don't like, a lot of you don't like hearing. Because on the other side, if you will believe, because it comes by believing. That's what it says. If you believe in the gospel, if you'll believe in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, then he will give you all his worthiness and then all our righteousness and sin will die with him. And then you get born again. That's what we call it. Is this interesting to you? I hope it's interesting to you. Many, many people all around the globe are running to this. They're running to it. And they're finding out 
that heaven isn't just up there, it's actually come down here. Salvation has come down. Fulfillment is starting. Self-completion is that there's a pathway for it to not just end in tragedy, but to end in glory. Good news through Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Before I pray, if you have never uh, given your life to Jesus and this message is interesting to you and you feel it's compelling to you, I want to ask you to just think possibly this pull in your heart, maybe I need Jesus. It's not coming from you. It's coming from God. <laughs> this is how God finds his children. His lost, dying, tragic, tragedy running children. And this is all it takes to start the new adventure of a new life. All you have to say is, God, my righteousness isn't enough. Would you forgive me? Dear Jesus, please accept me. And if you can say that prayer, you're starting a new life. We would love to walk with you in that. Pastors will stick around here. We're not going to pressure you. There's no pressure. And if you're just not sure today, you're like, this is interesting to me, but I've got questions. It's okay. Come and talk. Nobody's going to pressure you. We're not going to make you be saved. You would just only give your life to him when you're ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a new way, a new path, and giving us hope, Lord. There are probably people listening to this message right now and their life has kind of dropped down into low grade, less hope. There may be people listening to this message that are dropping down to nihilism, and hopelessness. We pray for them. And I pray for this word, this news, this good news, that there is a pathway for a new kind of life from you. It is by grace. We never earn it. We never have to run hard after it. You give it to us when we ask. Thank you for Jesus, who has loved us when we are ever so unlovable, whether we are breaking your laws or we think we're so good and looking down on other people and spoiling the righteousness. So in all this sin-sick, lost people, thank you, Jesus. How could you possibly love someone like me? <laughs> I don't have anything to offer and even my righteousness is terrible. But thank you that you would come to love us, that you would come to forgive us to lay your life down so that we could have new life. Thank you. Be honored, be praised, and pour out your mercy and grace on the people of this room and everyone who listens to this message. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna have a time of response.